0: Chapter One of the Lady of the North Star This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Richard Kilmer, San Antonio, Texas. The Lady of the North Star by Otwell Binns. Chapter One The End of a Trail. There was a smell of burning spruce in the sharp air, and Corporal Bracknell, of the Northwest Mounted Police, threw back his head and sniffed it gratefully. His team of dogs had been conscious of it for some time, and now, quickening the pace, they broke into joyous yelps as they turned inward towards the Saskatoon bushes on the left bank of the frozen river. The Corporal smiled to himself. They're wise dogs, he muttered, but not wise enough to know the trail's end. I wonder if I shall find the man here." He followed the well-marked track toward the bank. The aromatic smell of spruce grew stronger, and there was nothing to be seen save the shadowy woods and the packed-sled road between. The road had been cut through the trees, and here and there a stump bearing the mark of an axe protruded above the snow for perhaps 300 yards it ran in a bee line between the tall trunks and then turned abruptly to the right he reached the turning and looked about him curiously the road still continued but the end of it was not in sight for again it turned as it seemed to him into the very heart of the forest there's a house or encampment somewhere about he said to himself but he broke off abruptly as something caught his eye. It was a new marked sled trail, debouching from the main track, and he stooped to examine it carefully. When he straightened himself there was an eager light in his eyes, and curbing his impatient dogs he stood considering for a full two minutes. He may have a shack here, so his thoughts ran, but if there's more than that, why this broad road? He considered the avenue made by the somber pine woods on each side of the road and then shook his head. Too much style for Koona Dick. There must be a homestead somewhere about, but if those are not the marks of his sled runners, I'm a Dutchman. He spoke a word or two to his well trained dogs and slipping off his snowshoes turned towards the trail which led into the wood and began to follow it carefully. As he walked, he unbuttoned the pistol holster at his waist and gripped the handle of the weapon in preparation for action the man whose trail he believed that he was following was not given to being over-scrupulous he had pursued him for nearly four hundred miles and now that the end of the chase was in sight it behooved him to be cautious for if koona suspected his presence his resentment of it might even go to the extreme length of a rifle bullet He left the trail and began to move cautiously from tree to tree. The short Northland day was almost over. Dusk was coming on apace, and the gloom under the trees deepened. Little misgivings awake in his mind. Was it wise to follow the track into the heart of the wood? His dogs were good dogs, but... The sudden sharp crash of a rifle echoed through the stillness, followed immediately by a second. And then by that sharp cry of a woman, assailed by mortal terror. And then there came the quick yelp of dogs. He turned in his tracks and began to run back under the trees. How long it was before he reached the main trail he never knew. But never in his life had he run so fast before. Fear was pounding at his heart. His dogs, if they were gone... He reached the edge of the wood to find them still where he had left them, and his relief found expression in a quick Thank God. He looked round him, up and down the road, and into the dark woods on either hand. There was nothing to be seen, and the coming of night had already shortened the range of vision. He stood listening intently. No sound broke the awful silence that had followed the shots and the curdling cry of fear. His hand resting on the gee-pole of the sled shook a little it was a woman he whispered a white woman at that there's some infernal mystery about i wonder if kuna dick he did not finish the thought setting his face to the turn in the road he gave the dogs the word and they moved forward somewhere at the end of the road there was a human habitation of that he was convinced he would find it and perhaps at the same time find Kuna Dick and the solution of that mysterious cry which had so suddenly startled the silent woods. But he was not destined to reach the end of the road without further adventure. As he reached the turn he became aware of a narrow road on the left hand cut at right angles from the main track, and as he looked down it saw a shadowy figure moving swiftly between the trees straight towards him. Against the fading light and the white background of snow, he made out the form of a woman and instantly halted his dogs with the intention of speaking to her. She was perhaps five and twenty yards away when he first saw her, and the distance between them she covered at a run, approaching him apparently without seeing him. Her line of progress brought her within four yards of the place where he stood waiting in the shadow of a giant spruce. Still she did not see him, and he was about to make his presence known when the sight of her face checked him. It was a young face and beautiful, but as he saw it, it was a picture of incarnate terror. The eyes were staring as in horror. There was a stony look about the cameo-like features, and he caught the gasping intake of breath as she passed him. He had seen terror in feminine faces before, once when a drunken half-breed had lifted a knife to slay, and once on the face of an Indian girl swept towards the Whitehorse Rapids on the Yukon in a frail canoe, and he had no doubt whatever as to the emotion which found expression in that stonily beautiful face. The girl was badly frightened, he was quite certain of that and the fact of her passing both himself and his team without observing them was further evidence that she was in great stress of mind as she hurried by something in her hand caught his eye it was a rifle carried at the trail for a moment he stood there undecided what to do once he made as if to follow the girl and then checking himself again stood considering the two shots which he had heard What did they mean? They had sounded quite close, and now there came the girl, clearly badly frightened, carrying a rifle and hurrying from the wood. He looked up the narrow path between the gloomy pines, his trained mind and his instincts working together. Something had occurred in the wood, something tragical, or it had not brought that look on the girl's face. What was it? tired as he was with the day's travel, and certain, though he was, of the nearest of some house of rest, he could not leave the problem unsolved. For the moment he even forgot Kuna Dick, and again leaving his dogs, he turned into the path from which the girl had emerged. He moved cautiously, with the service pistol in his hand. He did not know what to expect, and he was not inclined to be caught unprepared once as he walked in the darkness of the trees he paused and throwing back the ear flaps of his fur cap stood listening no sound reached him though a moment before he had caught a noise which seemed like the snapping of a dry twig thinking he must have been mistaken he resumed his way as he did so a shadowy form behind him slid from one tree trunk to another and as he progressed the form in the wood followed, evidently stalking him. Corporal Brack, now, however, remained unconscious of the shadow, and moving quickly but silently on his way, came suddenly upon something which brought him to an abrupt halt. In the snow, not three yards from where he stood, lay the huddled form of a man. For a moment he stared at it as if fascinated, and as the man did not move, when the moment had passed he stepped swiftly forward and bent over the inanimate form. The man was lying on his side, and a dark stain in the snow the corporal divined was blood. Apparently the man was dead, and as it was now too dark to see his face, the corporal felt in his pouch and produced a tin box of sulfur matches. Striking one, he waited until the sulfur had finished spluttering, and when the wood was fairly alight, he bent over the prostrate form shading the match with his hands so as to throw the light upon the man's face. Then suddenly he dropped the match and stood upright. "'Koona Dick!' he muttered, and then whistled softly to himself. He struck another match and looked again in order to make sure. As for the second time, the flickering light fell on the face in the snow. Every doubt vanished. The man who was lying there was the man whom he had followed, for four hundred miles through the Waste, the man whom he had hoped to make his prisoner, but who now, if appearances were to be trusted, had finally escaped him. Dropping the match as it burned towards the end, he thrust his hand inside the man's fur parka to feel if the heart were beating. He could detect no movement, and as he withdrew the hand, he stood upright, and as he considered question after question, went through his mind at the gallop who had killed Kuna dick the girl whom he had met with that look of frozen terror on her face who was she had she shot the man lying at his feet why had she done so where did she live as the last question shot in his mind he knew the answer to it was in his grasp he had seen the direction she had followed and he guessed that whatever homestead lay at the end of that road cut through the forest would be her dwelling place. As his conviction surged into his mind, the whining of his dogs came to his ears. They were evidently growing restless, and since he could do nothing by lingering there, after one glance at the still form lying in the snow, he swung on his heel and made all speed back to where his team awaited him. They yelped with delight as he appeared, and when he gave the word, bounded impatiently forward along the well-beaten track. Four minutes later, a turn in the road unexpectedly brought into view the homestead that he was seeking. It was set in the midst of a large clearing, and from its outline in the darkness was of considerable proportions for a Northland Lodge. Lights shone in three of the windows, and just as he reached the wooden fence, which ran round the house, a door opened, and a light within streaming through outlined the form of a man in the act of entering. Corporal Bracknell shouted to him, and the man turned round and peered into the darkness. Then he rested something against the wooden wall of the passage, shut the door, and moved towards the policeman. "'Who are you?' he asked, as he came nearer. "'Corporal Bracknell, on Dominion Service,' replied the policeman. "'Corporal Bracknell?' As the man echoed the words, the corporal caught a puzzled note in his tones, and explained further. Yes, of the mounted police. Oh, of course. I was not thinking of the mounted service. I am a stranger in the Nor'west. Bracknell had already divined that such must be the case, but he did not say so. He laughed lightly and made his wants known. I am on service and tired. I should be grateful for supper, and a bunk if that is possible. It is quite possible, officer, and Joy, I mean Miss Gargrave, will be very glad to oblige you. She is always pleased to play the good Samaritan. As the man spoke the name, the corporal remembered that he had heard it before. It had been borne by an eccentric Englishman who had been reported enormously wealthy and who had perished rather tragically on the Klondike three years before and the mystery of whose death had never been cleared up satisfactorily. He knew now where he was. "'This is the North Star Lodge, then,' he inquired. "'Yes,' was the reply. "'Will you go in now and attend to your team afterwards, or—' "'In my service,' laughed Bracknell, "'the dogs come first. "'Very well,' answered the other. "'I will wait for you.' He lit a cigarette and watched the corporal, while he loosed the dogs from the traces and fed them with frozen fish. The light from the window fell on his face, and showed that he was less interested in the operation than in the man engaged upon it, for never for a moment did his eyes leave the officer, and there was a ruminative look in them, as if he were speculating what manner of man the policeman was. The corporal was quite conscious of the stare, but gave no sign of it, though once or twice, as he moved about he flashed a glance at the stranger, endeavoring in his turn to take the other's measure. When he had finished his task, he turned to him. I'm ready now. So am I, laughed the man. It is cold waiting about. He threw his cigarette away and moved towards the door of the house. Corporal Bracknell followed him, and as the door opened, his guide stumbled over something which fell with a clatter on the pinewood floor. The man stooped and picked it up my rifle he explained i had forgotten it was there i rested it against the wall when you hailed me the corporal nodded but made no remark his thoughts were engaged with koona bill lying out there under the shadow of the pines and he was wondering what the meeting with joy gargrave would be like guessing as he did that she must be the girl who he had passed out in the wood his companion conducted him to a room that for the northland was positively luxurious and waved him a chair near the stove. You would like to change your socks and moccasins, he said politely. I will go and inform Miss Gargrave and return for you in ten minutes or so. It should be almost dinner-time. Corporal Bracknell nodded, and when the man had departed, looked round the room with some curiosity. Nowhere in the wild region where his work was done, was there another such room, he was sure. Even the commandant's room, down at the posts, were poor beside it. The furniture was of excellent quality. The wall was matchboarded, hiding the outer logs. And there were furs everywhere. Pictures, too. Something familiar in one of them caught his eye. And moving towards it, he saw that it was a photograph of Newham College, Cambridge. He stood looking at it, whistling softly to himself. He himself had been at Caius, and having his sister at Newham, he had once or twice had tea in its precincts. He wondered what the picture was doing here in this lodge in the northern wilderness, and he was still wondering when a gong sounded. Hastily he began to change his socks, and the operation was scarcely completed when the man who had introduced him to the house appeared. "'Ready, Corporal?' almost he replied and half a minute later stood up and nodded this way said the other laconically and led the way out of the room and across the wide passage the policeman was prepared for surprises but the appearance of the room into which he entered almost took his breath away except for the roaring yukon stove and the fur rugs on the polished floor it was a replica of the typical dining-room of an English country-house. The furniture was Jacobian, the table was laid with the whitest napery, and silver and glasses gleamed on its whiteness. He had a quick apprehension of oil paintings on the wall, of a long cased clock in the corner, and of two girls standing together near the stove. Then his companion's voice sounded, Corporal Bracknell, Miss Gargrave, Miss Lafarge he bowed to the two ladies in turn. The second he knew, as he glanced at her, was a French-Canadian extraction, with perhaps a dash of Indian blood in her veins. But the first was a golden-haired English girl, tall, blue-eyed, with a face a little bronzed by the open air, and the girl who had passed him, with her face the index of mortal terror, and her rifle at the trail. It was she who spoke in a voice, that had the indescribable accent of culture. We are pleased to see you, Corporal Bracknow, no doubt. If you have been long on the trail, you will be ready for dinner. End of chapter 1